good day, good evening, good night, good afternoon, and possibly good morning, wherever you are. And welcome to another exciting episode of The Black Cauldron. This is episode number 17. Um, ladies, we've been at this for like over four months, basically, if we are, if I'm doing my math correctly. And this is really exciting. This is like a long-term relationship in the gay world. I'm telling you. <laughs> this also means that the president of the United States had no idea what he was talking about when he said, we're just going to wake up one day and this is all going to be gone very soon. I'm sure of it. <laughs> and that the heat would take it away. It would go away in the summer. Um, yeah. The coronavirus is not a devil's snare, okay? Life no, it is not. fire will not get rid of it, okay? Will not so get rid of not. it. Mm-mm. So this is, I mean, we're looking forward enough. We're reading our favorite book. But before I go in any further, we are continuing with our favorite book, um, The Half-Blood Prince. Let me introduce my co-hostesses with the mostesses. I am nothing without these ladies. We have Professor Deb. How are you doing today? Doing great. Doing great. Great to be with you all. And we have Janina from Farron, Ohio. How are you? I'm, I'm amazing. <laughs> not, what are you? But that's not even true anyway. But, I mean, <laughs> how you like them apples? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm you good. Can hear I'm probably good. some sound effects in the back. There is construction going on on the roof of my building. Oh so, goodness! I know it's a good day. So I think they're trying to get in as much as possible. Um, I mean, the weather-wise. I mean, it's not too hot and it's not too, you know rainy and of course there is reels here but i think we should be fine in terms of sound um you know i need you ladies to give me some more pep and vigor you know i mean we're gonna be having quidditch tryouts today so i don't y'all can't come in all lackluster for this event so we are still <laughs> in the half-blood prince i think this is our fourth episode this is our fourth half-blood prince episode <laughs> And, and really, we're we not even halfway, halfway through the book. Through, exactly. <laughs> I'm fine with it. I love it. Basically, in terms of how the events unfold, we just basically in the second week of school or something like that. Second or third week of school. And we 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 forgot to <laughs> I think we may have mentioned in one of the previous episodes where Harry got a detention already. <laughs> Him and Snape's. You know, as, there's an expression in Caribbean we say they fetch way a long time ago. They They fetch way that they they were that they were together, but they suddenly broke apart. But that was one of my favorite lines when Harry said to Snape, um, "You know, you don't have to call me sir." And I was just like, "That is so something I would do." <laughs> oh my gosh! You know, that when is that, so something that I that know line, I in high school. Oh my! When that line happened, it, oh man. That was what? just like, you know what? I laughed and I cringed at the same time. Like, oh, shit, you're going to get it. I know. <laughs> when I read it the first time, I was like, oh, my God, that is so something I've done. This is just, this is, and I, I think I thought the same thing. They go, oh, no need to call me Sarah, because we would always play these kind of a uh, board game. Particularly, my sister would even also, my sister tries to my father and father was like, you children need to go to bed. Find your bed right now. My sister would be like, oh, yeah, daddy, I know where it is. It's in the bedroom. And he would be like, girl, <laughs> don't tickle me today, okay? Do not tickle me today, okay? It's not, you know? So, not today. So you have to be very, I was I was very pleased that the word play, but you know, usually, you know, 
what's sweet in your mouth is sour in your guts, you know. So when you get that little cheap shot, you know what I mean? You get that nasty detention. Well, Snape had him cleaning out bedpans or something like that. It's uh, no magic. <laughs> right, right. Nasty ass. But, you know, here's the thing. Harry didn't even probably even know any kind of magic to even do that anyway. <laughs> so, oh, he's like, been around the Weasley house long enough that he could have come up with something. Yeah, he would have sure. known Scourgeify or Scourgeify. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yes. he would have known to how to do that if he could have used magic. But there would have been other ways around that. But anyway, so we are here for the Quidditch um, World Cup. I think it was that. Because I think last Not time Not the World Cup. Tryouts. Tryouts. The, the Quidditch team tryouts. I think last time we had a... Um, I don't think I know. We had a, a spirited discussion about being in the gaunt shack. And we somewhat got to the second lesson. But we know we're trying to rein it back to what's happening. We're so excited about the, histo- the history of that's connected to Harry Potter... We're forgetting the present day event that happens in Harry Potter. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, so Harry has been made captain, and Hermione is excited by this because now he gets to use a prefect bathroom. <clears throat> How exciting! Um, mind you, we I never know about the regular bathrooms. But I want to use the prefect's bathroom. I mean, that sounds like a spa. I mean, right. <laughs> But I don't know. Morning Mudler's in there peeping on people. I she don't even care. People. You know what? I just wanted that. in the fourth book? Yeah. Yeah, remember? He, Cedric let him use it. In the fourth book, yeah. Sparkling Edward. Was that? <laughs> what did you sparkly, say? I said Sparkly Ed- Edward. In his next, his next role. Move on, move on. Yes. Oh, oh. Oh, God. We are not reading that book, people. We are not reading that book. I refuse Just to, move to, to on. burn my We're eyes. We're not having this discussion anyway, here. So Harry is, he finds out that we, we know he's now a new celebrity again. Because <laughs> we all know that, that in recent events, Harry was allegedly, through Magical World, he was seen at the Ministry of Magic. And Voldemort was at the Ministry of Magic. And he survived the Ministry of Magic <laughs> interaction with Voldemort. And the Ministry of Magic had to, the only casualty was Sirius Black. And the Ministry of Magic had to then also put out a retraction and commute the sentence of, not even commute, but also issue a pardon for Sirius Black to a certain extent to say that he was not responsible for these 13 deaths and we have been hunting him for three years for no reason, et cetera, et cetera. So Harry is now a cause, a huge, even bigger celebrity than he is because, you know, Voldemort is back and he survived yet again. And at the Quidditch practice, you know, everyone's showing up for the event and Harry is having <laughs> to find himself. Harry has to be a leader. Like, literally, here is a leadership position that is that he has to assume. It isn't something that is accidentally thrust upon him. He is literally, like, the best Quidditch player they've had uh, for a long time and he is I think some it's noted that he's never lost the snitch, basically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he is presumably the best person for the captaincy. And he has to manage all of that. And he has his and girl intended genies on the team. And Ron wants to try out again. And, you know, he has to try everybody else out. And it's funny that he doesn't have to try out because he's a captain. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just saying. 
there are the small children in that school. I mean, they could be Sika, but okay. But he's going to all of I never even considered that. I never considered that Harry was the only one that didn't need to try out because he was captain. I totally just went with that. I didn't question it at all. That's interesting. I don't think that that's that unusual. I think no? it's a little bit like, no, no, I think it's a little bit like being appointed to be chair of something. Nobody in every, then you get to select everybody else that's going to be on your committee. So, I mean, I think it's, it's different <clears throat> in sports teams, of course, where you do have tryouts, but I didn't think that was that unusual. And I think certainly Harry was, um, is more like the carryover and kind of like some continuity from previous teams. So well, the fact that he should be, he's been appointed. If you can't be appointed um, the the captain and then try out, I mean, that just doesn't make I any guess sense. It, it's because like for me, um, I think of a team leader, the ultimate leader is the coach, not the right, captain. Right, there isn't the coach. So, right. and there's no coach. So your captain is ultimately your coach. So in that, in that regard, it makes sense. Um, yeah. But but the way that I know sports and what I know about sports, you would, the coach would choose the team and then appoint a captain. Right. So that's why right. it's a little bit weird. But anyways. Well, but actually, to a certain extent, in British education system, in schooling, the captain being appointed by the school is not unusual. No. No. I, found, I, I do know that. So there would be the, you would have a head of house which would be teachers in, uh, also, but you would have a captain for the respective houses. But okay. since here, you're just basically the only competitive event per se beyond the academics and being nice, et cetera, et cetera. It's the Quidditch. There is no other, like, Gobscon club doesn't have an intramural competition, right? So, right, right. Or whatever other things they have, or the, the um, potions club or whatever. Um, so usually... Because the captaincy is not just about the team. The captaincy is seen as someone like a prefect. Um, mm -hmm. So you would have the, you know, someone who exemplifies leadership and being in charge. Because the captain of any sports team, and, and as in fact we know with Harry, Harry has a lot of responsibility. He has to take care of the well-being and welfare of these children to a certain extent. He has to manage their emotion, manage their, manage the team, etc. Because McGonagall is just like, I'm just here to get the cup. I just want the win. Exactly. Just give me the win. <laughs> She's just like, this cup looking real cute in my office, and I can't look at Severus. I can't have Severus dog me yet again, okay? Severus been dogging me before you came in here, Harry. So, actually, no, because they lost the Quidditch Cup for two years, actually. They just won the House Cup. They won the Quidditch Cup for the first time in book three. They were just, they were just losing the... They were just winning the house cup over our points. So Harry has all of this drama. And then um, we find out well, um, Harry is suspicious. And Harry has been around a lot of confounded people. That during the keeper tryout, how McLagan looked like he was about to save the very last goal and just did. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then... <laughs> I am like, I don't know how Hermione's in jail because isn't confounded, which is, but she didn't use, did she use the, she used the confounded charm, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to um, Imperial. Mm -hmm. Oh, right. She didn't use, she didn't use a, uh, um, a unforgivable, unforgivable curse. She didn't use an unforgivable curse. 
they're all back in my opinion. What I guess Imperial is that it um you can make the person do your will. Confounding is just basically put the person at daze to a certain extent. Right. You just they're just confused. Confused at the moment of what's happening. Right. right. Um, and we saw that being used against um El- not Eloise um that girl in the office with sneak across her face. Mitch Edge. Oh yeah, Harry yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kingsley put the confounded charm on her. So, and there is a the, the the trio or the Trinity. What what is very particular about this this scene and what's happening here is that there's a lot of. I think it's about some of the most the tension we've seen with these three. I mean, we saw tension in book four, where Harry and Ron uh, had us well. Well, Ron had issues with Harry, claiming that, you know, Harry seemingly gets away with murder and he didn't share in the possibility of going into, you know, putting his name into the Goblet of Fire. In book five, you know, Harry is against all of them, you know, like, you don't understand what happened, you don't understand the trauma that I'm going through, et cetera, et cetera. But now, you know, like, Hermione is upset with, with, with Harry about the book. Then, you know, Hermione and Ron had the little lover's quarrel going on. And, you know, Ron is believing that Harry and Hermione don't believe that he's capable. He's just as capable as Harry as playing Quidditch and being well. But well, meanwhile, Ron doesn't believe it either. Ron But, you know, he, he, you. he doesn't believe it. And um, he really, we, one of the things that I think we really learn about Ron in this, this whole section um, we, well, we, we've known this about Ron, but we really see how the lack of confidence um, that he has experienced all along um, since he's come into his adolescence. He was much more confident when he was 11, 12 years old. But once we once he kind of crossed over into adolescence, I would say from book four on, he you really see the, the, the lack of confidence come through a lot. And I think that that's also why he willingly and happily falls into that relationship with Lavender. It's not just about um, liking Lavender so much. I think it was really more about, oh, this is something I can make work for me. And he and, yeah. and I didn't have to do very much to uh, get exactly. it to happen. <laughs> and so, he was genuinely surprised that somebody liked him. Well, also, he's very yeah. tall. He has grown very, very tall. And we, we, we I think we discussed this um it's not we. I think when we think about Ron, we think about the movie Ron, but the yeah. actual Ron in the book is extremely tall. Ron, I, I suspect right. Ron has to be like at least six three at this point. He's taller than the twins. Who are the tall ones in the movie? He's taller right. than Charlie, and he and Percy are about the same height. If if in fact he's not taller than Percy, um, I think he's by far the tallest one of them, and. He also, so that is also, it's very awkward for teenagers. I didn't know this, um, that teenage boys in particular, usually have issues with their limbs. They yes, usually trip they a lot. Mm-hmm. They fall over a lot because it's mm-hmm. just, just the, the massive growth spur. They just don't know how to handle their body and whatever. And I'm just like, I don't know how I missed all of that. But You didn't. You just well, didn't realize it was happening. It was happening. No. It's, well, I'm I really, I think, when we think about, I mean, our other love, and we think about some of the tennis players that we've watched over the years, and we see them have to come into their bodies. Looking um, like Bambi. <laughs> yeah, when you think about Zverev. I mean, I, you know, 
I mean, just really, you think about what, and a lot of them have shot have shot up because they're in their late teens, early twenties when mm-hmm. they make their breakthrough, and they have not gotten <laughs> used to handling their bodies yet. And, and they're trying to put on muscle as well. They're trying to put on muscle. They're trying to um, develop the the footwork and skills that are going to enable them to control their bodies. But you see that it's, some, it's work that has to be done as an athlete. And here, Ron has not been playing Quidditch. So he has not been, you know, doing these athletic things. I mean, he's been flying his broom and doing what he does with mm-hmm. his brother's stuff at home. But in terms of that kind of, the kind of discipline he's going to need to be um, the keeper, he hasn't been doing that. And we've got a growth spurt. So it makes sense that he is, and he's not the most confident person right. in the world. Um, so you can see all of those things kind of coming And he's together. not exceptional. All of his no. other siblings are, are exceptional. Everyone leading up to him have been exceptional in some ways. Right. And he right. has not. He he has somehow been, in his mind, ordinary. And added right. to that being, quote unquote, ordinary, I mean, he's even less ordinary. He's even become much more crucial, in his mind, much more pointed, because he's Harry Potter's best friend. Right. And he's also best friend with like the most brilliant person. I mean, Hermione is a quarter. I know I hate the word overachiever. Um, but, oh, you know I, but you know how I feel about how to function in this magical world. She's not an overachiever. She's a survivalist. Okay. She's trying to survive. Okay. And the only way you can survive is by knowledge um, a knowledge of magic in this world. But, but you I know, think, so I think the root, though, if, if we just think about um, Fred and George. If you think about their exceptional qualities, a big part of their exceptional qualities is kind of an intangible, fully comforted comfort level with being who they are. Mm-hmm. And that's not something that Ron has. I don't know that um, it's so much a lack of being exceptional, but that is the, if it's, and people say, oh, the Fred and George, Fred and George were really smart but in a street smart kind of way. But the main quality that they had was that, that, they, that they have consistent throughout all of the books is an absolute um, um, at ease with who they are. Yeah. With, whether it's getting into trouble or not or whatever, they fully accept who they are. And they don't, they're not looking over their shoulder. Now, maybe part of it is because they have each other. The, um, I was about to m- mention that that because uh, it's the the odd thing about not just the odd thing, you know that you put it that way in terms of talking about how they're so confident and at ease with themselves, but it's also there's a balance between them that usually in twin relationship one dominates the other, or right. you can see one sort of like rising above a good, but there is just a complete symmetry between these two. There is yeah. this there's an equilibrium there that you are talking to one, you are talking to the other, right? right? And they communicate with each other, like, you know, twins speak and all of this mess, but you don't, you, one doesn't exist without the other. And I, I don't know how, you no, know, when I go too far ahead, again, another yeah. trauma to deal yeah. with. <laughs> yeah, right. Trauma. I think there, there's certainly throughout this whole, where we are up until the point where we are now, they're totally on the same page. And I think that is that is might be the source of that that ease that they have, um, and that might be it. But 
I think that's what's missing with Ron. I mean, I don't know how you get that. I mean, you see people in the world like that who um, I used to say, you know, like they wear the world like a loose garment. You know, it's just like I'm just this is who I am and I'm OK with that no matter what what other qualities I have or don't have. And that's the way um, the twins are. The, Percy doesn't have it. Percy is is a social climber. He feels he he definitely is looking over his shoulder. He feels put upon by the fact that his family doesn't have a better position in the ministry. He's he doesn't have that ease. He's looking for that ease to be outside of him through whatever contacts he can make in the outside world and in the ministry, who he can line up with. Um, you know, we don't really know. We, we assume that Charlie and Bill have a little bit more like the twins. We don't really know them the same way we know the others, but you, we assume that. Ron has none of that. But Some of I, it is being, you know, having these other brothers who have it, but he doesn't have any of that. But can, can I make a suggestion? Again, as you were saying all of this and I'm taking it in, you are hitting upon, I mean, in my mind, this theory is completely sound, but I, 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 in my mind, I would put it a little bit differently. Well, I would add something. I would say rather because I, I think what is the common, what is common between the other brothers and and Ron, is that there is ambition outside of their present moment, right? That Ron just sort of live in the moment. I'm hungry. Where's the food? Let's say right. you know, like, well, what right. are we doing next? But these the, the brothers sort of like we, we we see you know the I mean. We get to see a bit more of Bill now, and it's very clear that well, we knew Bill was really smart, and right. I mean, like the work that he does is it's very complex magic. So you know, he's thinking about the world at large. Charlie is outsider, you know. I mean, I think he's gay, so I mean, like he has to look up for the outside world. And I mean, well, you we know how ambitious Percy is, and the twins, they're looking to make some money, okay, <laughs> and. They know that the world that they want to live in isn't in this place. You know what I mean? And they're, they're thinking beyond school. They're thinking outside of, they're thinking about, they're not, they're not thinking conventional, right? Where you need school and all that to, for the plans that they have in mind. They're thinking the, the well twins outside are, the, the world. The twins are not, Percy and the twins are, are I think, equally ambitious. But the, but the twins are not looking over at their parents and saying, why aren't you wealthy enough to sell right. a joke shop? They're they not looking the outside of They figure, we're going to make this happen. Now, they, they got lucky in that Harry gave them the start and kind of gave them a head start on what their ambition was. Well, but well. I, for not for one moment did any, of, any reader think that if that had not happened for them, that they would not have figured out a way to get that. <laughs> No, we always assumed that that we would happen. We always assumed that it would well, happen. Well, they had the money, right? Remember, um, Backman stole their money. <laughs> right. They had the money right. for the side. They had, they had the a money. plan. Exactly. <laughs> they had a plan, but they didn't have. They didn't have a thousand galleons. Galleons, right? But they. But you. I never thought for a moment, and even when he stole their money, that this meant that the twins would never get their dream. That yeah, you never think that about them. You never think that about them. You know and that they're going to be not successful. Busy looking over at their father and saying, "Gee, if you were Lucius Malfoy, you could have afforded to write us a check, and we would have our magic." That's just not who they are. Well, you see, you see what they did with that thousand galleon, right? They're opening up properties. They're looking. They're 
they're looking right. in uh, hogs meat to buy another property. I mean, like they're just they're doing there. it right. They're doing but, it. But even and even before they opened their property, they had a mail order service. So <laughs> they they were always thinking about how they were going to achieve what they wanted to achieve. I'm and like, true so, capitalists. It didn't even when when we get in book seven and there's still when the drama has unfolded. That didn't. These capitalists weren't even stopped, upended. <laughs> by, no. By 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 Voldemort and his cohorts operating everywhere openly. These people had a back order, back room mail order. <laughs> Jokes That's are right. still running. So. They figured, well, we just have to take it underground. Exactly. And, and the Ministry of Magic was putting in orders because they didn't know how to deal with stuff. Look, exactly. Look, you, you see, this is why this, you see when you, I know Janina gets some it's like, why are you so, uh, you know, what's the word? I want to say finicky, but so meticulous as so undisciplined about the magic itself because this is really madness. The Ministry of Magic who controls everything, right? The Ministry of Magic mm-hmm. control how you transport yourself through magic. You can't have magic carpets. You know what I mean? You can't have flying right. cars, but you could be on a broomstick. But okay. But, you know, the <laughs> Ministry of Magic is so meticulous about these things. They literally have absolutely, they're looking to a joke shop. But, but to reels, protect them reels, in an you, actual you, emergency. I read the Washington Post almost every day. There were people who did the exact same thing with masks yep. during this pandemic. <laughs> and the government was buying. They had somebody who told the government he could that they could get them all the masks they needed, and they went along with that scheme. And the person produced nothing, nothing. This well, is I read. That, I read that too. That, but but I mean, like this there is, is what no I'm doubt. Talking about listen, but, but isn't that? But isn't for me? I just took that to be that the government and this mask alleged alleged mask producer, mass mask producer, mass mask. mask producer but just in it for the fraud yeah but but but, but it would also indicated that they were but that they were in it for the fraud but they also were looking for a quick way to say look we provided the the proper ppe okay that was the other piece of it rather than doing the work which would have meant doing all the things you needed to do to rev up these companies and do these various things it's like the ministry didn't want to do the work Right. They didn't want to do the work. They said, "Oh, we'll order this stuff from the joke shop too." So this is this is so real world, and this was written years ago. I so mean, you no, know, we're is- in the middle. Listen, yeah. we're in the middle of a pandemic. I work in one of the biggest hospitals in all of Ohio, and we were getting masks that had nothing but Chinese writing on them, except for the part that said "not medical grade." in a hospital setting right right and they had they they were actually um buying masks like those janina and taking that sign off yeah right and taking and then distributing those to 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 hospitals i mean i wonder how much of that shoddy hand sanitizer i've used because there was a long time when we couldn't get our purell and germex Right. I'm right. just saying. I mean, this uh, this, is this, is check, this is typical. This is typical. This is typical. You should check your Purell and, and Joe Mex to see whether or not they're the same as they were before. If well, I wouldn't have anything to check it against. But um, I, I'm just saying, like, what, you know, I totally agree with Deb. This is typical. It, Yeah, you have magic. Do it. You know, fix it. Make it right. But this is how 
people in so-called leadership positions operate, it isn't so much where it comes from. It's all about the octave optics of we got exactly. it done. And I think when you see Ron, when he does successfully um, with, with Hermione's help, unbeknownst to him, um, when he does successfully get the the get the the keeper job, he wants to spend all of his time reliving every single solitary thing that happened. You know, once it goes well for him, you remember how he, he when Hermione would do that with the test results, and he would he would be like, <laughs> "Oh, this makes me sick," you know. But when he when something goes well for him, you know, he in his mind, he feels like that's so rare that he has to relive it. And he has to you know, it really serves as something to to shore him up when mm -hmm. he when this when this when it comes through successfully because he had no confidence that it was going to happen. So and we see later how quickly he lets it go when he doesn't have a successful match. So well, he behaved so, this way even when uh, remember when he was put on this when they put him in deep sleep to go under the water for the um, for the trial right for the task the second task and he was just like trying to tell him all this crazy thing that happened it's just like no boo shit didn't happen they just knock you out and that's it you don't remember right, a single right. thing but he was trying to be like i fought off the mer people what they rode up in mcgonagall's office is that how the mer people <laughs> captured you <laughs> they just like, yeah. throw a lot of the lake and you know i think somebody even said why did you do snow them to death is that what you did but you know he has that and i and in and in many ways i mean i kind of feel some level of sympathy to him and it's one of those things I think we can talk, we, we can, we would see, not even just in terms of trauma, just like how children don't even communicate with each other. Because I went to an all boys um, high school and around this age, and I just knew that, you know, boys were just not capable of having real conversation about real issues about what was happening to them. That we will, we will go on about, you know, like, like some crazy movie. Did my God, did you watch Rambo? And Rambo did all of this and whatever. Just like, how are you feeling today? All right. What's up? That's it. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? That's right. it. You know what I mean? And, and I think a lot of what is happening here for Ron particularly and even and Harry and, and I think I get the feeling her mind is far more expressive and, you know, she talks, uh, she has a diary or something. I'll perhaps talk to her. Um, it's how... A lot of what's going on with Ron is just like, just like, boo, what's up? Really talk about it. You know what I mean? But he's quick to get upset. He's just like, you don't believe in me, Hermione. It's just like, the fuck are you talking to Hermione like this? That drives but me. But you know insane. what? He's not wrong. I'm like, he don't even believe in himself. I don't know why you're backing at Hermione when you don't even believe in yourself. But he's not wrong. She didn't believe in him, which is why she used the Confundus charm Danny to make sure was annoying me, that so. he didn't get the spot because she right. knew that Ron wasn't the best. So, yeah, it sucks that he's talking to her like that, but he's not wrong. He was 100% right. And I think one of the things, I mean, and Hermione wanted it for him because she knew how how much he had put, you know, how much of his ego and his his self esteem was tied up in getting to be on the on the team. Mm -hmm. And so, 
you know, but she also knew that he was going to need some help. And she and part of it is not it's not like you can't do it. You just lack the kind of confidence that that you would need to be able to go out there and do that, which is not which has never been an issue for her. It's not been an issue when it comes to Quidditch for Harry. You know, Harry, it was almost like, oh, you know, like he was born on a broomstick. And then we realize, we find out later, he really, he was a little boy on a broomstick. <laughs> exactly. You know, and I think we don't realize it. We don't know until much later that, you know, he had a broomstick when he, before he could practically walk. So he didn't remember that. So he's naturally, you know, it's almost, almost like memory, you know, muscle memory. But Ron was never, you know, he was always probably just playing, you know, sent like the equivalent of tossing balls to his brothers when they were practicing at home because he's not been a part of this whole thing. And so he did need that help. But he was able to, as we find out when we get to um, Felix Felicis, you know, when he has some confidence, even though it's even though it was manufactured, he can produce. So we do see what it means to have that level of confidence. He's not, he's messy. I, I don't I don't like how they treat him. Mind, just the way it is. I mean, okay. right, I mean, right. I hear what you no no what you're saying there. It, it, it's absolutely right, but you know, as a viewer, you know what I mean. After this situation, just be like. I mean, I guess on a whole, because even even Harry sometimes is like, Hermione, you don't know anything about Quidditch and just don't even pretend to be. I was just like, mm, y'all could be a lot more kinder to each other because this girl save y'all ass is a thankless job. You know what I mean? And I, I just think for, for me, the kind of adventure that these children have been through, that there would mm-hmm. have been a little bit more different dynamic between them because they never talk about the thing. That whenever Harry, like if you think about all of the crazy moments that they've been through from the beginning, Harry goes, and in a lot of cases, Hermione is almost the the first victim, right? That if anyone is to get attacked or whatever, it's generally Hermione first in a way. Um, And we know she is literally a target because of her quote unquote blood status. But just how at the very end, Harry's in a deep sleep or giving some chocolate and they're just like oh hey you're okay glad you're around let's get on the train oh enjoy your holidays and scene and then we roll around <laughs> holidays <laughs> like enjoy your holidays like oh well, i guess what what we're going to do for next year school and you know what i mean it, it's they they don't discuss the trauma that they've been through i mean just imagine ron and her ron and, and harry I keep thinking about the fact that um, Lockhart was going to kill them. Like, before right. they even faced the snake. <laughs> you know what I mean? A teacher was about, well, this is Harry's second year in a row. A teacher was trying to kill him, right? <laughs> and Ron really was sleeping with a... With that, a but do you really think that children sit around and, and process their emotions in that way? Yes and no. I would say they don't. yes. Actually, they, I mean, trust me, a lot of children have been to trauma and they've had to they've had to come up with some sort of explanation. And also, again, the thing about it is just like Harry is a child and Harry has taken on the burden to 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 fight a man who has been who has remained elusive from grown wizards. 
Do you know what I mean? Like he he did not create Voldemort. Voldemort chose to attack him, and Harry, in in many ways, though he doesn't, he would say this now, but I mean, it's always been clear that he has been determined to go after Voldemort from book one. He was just like, I don't know this this man. Like he tried to choose to attack me, and I need to stop him because but I think, he. Is- I think- I think, though, that, you know, we do see these outbursts from Harry when it just gets to be too much for him. When he says, you know, you don't know what it's like to face him or or different things that he said over the course, especially from book five on. And he talks about, you know, the, the, these experiences, but because they're they're really not they're not really have many opportunities to discuss it in, a, in any other kind of way. I mean, when, when he does have opportunities, he clamps down. When Dumbledore tries to talk to him, um, both at the end of book four and at the end of book five, he, he can't do it. You know, he's a, he, it's just too painful for well, him. Well, I mean, immediately after, I mean, I get it. But, I mean, like, there is no... Um, there is no... I mean, if amongst themselves, this is probably what I'm talking about, that they don't attempt to address the trauma. So that is so this is why I am never really surprised that there is always this infighting all the time. But right. also and the, 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 the resolution to these things are always so quick. But there's always there's sort of, Harry always maintains a, a level of bitter resentment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's right. always like right. shady about the whole situation. But it's because I don't think, because Harry says that, you know, like, because in many ways these children have, from the beginning with that troll, I mean, who fights a troll and become friends? <laughs> and I'm saying like... Well, this, I think, I think this, that, was a, that was kind of a metaphor for, you know... Right, we're going to be fight. fighting monsters all yeah, the time. exactly. But, but it's just one of those things where it's like, they don't as much of time as they spend together, they're literally spending time apart because we see them all the time when they're together. When they're not dealing with going after mystery situation, they're just doing schoolwork and you know what I mean? They never sit back and be like, wow. So we almost got killed again. Like, you know, like, wow. And I mean, I know you know what you're saying, Janine, in terms of like, they're, children but most children do not face this kind of situation and i would expect that to a certain extent that children who are in this situation and they're constantly getting into the situation because they're constantly running towards danger they're constantly just like oh there is danger just like oh we're not turning back turning back is never really an option they always go forward um particularly from this book onward because they are aware that they have been given information unique information that is that that would inevitably make them put them in, in in square in front of Voldemort. That even if it's just even if Harry is dismantled, they too have to pick it up. So it's almost like one of those like dangerous mission, and they never talk about the mission in any way. They just like put their head down and move forward. So so for me, like with all of that in place, I don't see. I find that sometimes when they're like really harsh with one another, just like wow. Just kind of shitty of y'all. It's not necessary. <laughs> you could be kinder to your people. Uh, that, well, yeah, I I think that um, <laughs> I think that's how kids act. I yeah, and I think they're because their relationship is so close, and so it's almost like 
you know, they were, they're, they, they're almost, I won't say siblings, because that's not true. But I think they're because they are so close, they, there are a lot of things that they just don't, it's almost like they have a shorthand and they don't talk about the things that have happened to them because it's like an acceptance that this is a long time ago. Someone said, why is it always you three? You know, and it's kind of like, they've kind of like, yeah, it is us. And now at this juncture, Harry knows it's about him. And he knows that these things are going to happen. He's tried to put some distance between himself and his friend to keep them safe. And they've said no. You know, remember when the, when he tried at the end of book five, it was like, what was all that planning and DA for? We're supposed to be in this together. And ultimately, you know, Dumbledore has given it his support by saying, yes, you can discuss this with um, with um with Ms. Granger and Mr. Weasley. Yes, you can tell them what you're going to be learning. So I think that that, that is an acceptance of what has happened to them and that they are they have a unique relationship and a unique, um, that all these things are gonna be happening to them because they're connected to Harry and because of what Harry has been called upon to do. They don't stress, a, but I mean, Overall, they do get the job done somehow. I don't know what it's like. I don't know after all is said and done. I probably have to because there is still that goal in mind, right? Like one of the great things about an epic story is that you keep the villain elusive and you keep the villain afar, far away as well. Like, you, you know, you, you don't you don't confront the villain. You know, the villain keeps moving. As, as you go further along, the villain keeps moving along. So I, I, would, I am eager to see what happens in the epilogue. Not twenty years later, but you know, a year later. <laughs> like right, how are you right. moving through a trauma? Well, but, speaking of villains and villain too, I mean, this is where we're starting to see Harry's um suspicions of Malfoy get even more solidified because you know, we have the incident with Katie and the necklace. And right. um, you know, they're they're you know it's kind of like a lazy Saturday, they're in Hogsmeade. Um, and they're on their way back to the castle and he, they, they are, they happen to be walking behind her and somehow or another they find, you know, she is, starts screaming and they realize that she's got some cursed magical object that, um, is causing her great pain. And, you know, then you cannot convince Harry that this is not another incident that Malfoy is not responsible for. Well, I think this is the first of the incidents, right? I mean, well, even right? before, you know, he was suspicious of Malfoy before this. Remember, this is the first of the incidents. But remember, he's been suspicious of Malfoy. Because um, he keeps it? disappearing. Malfoy right. keeps disappearing out of school. Off, and he's checking the Marauders map for him. Remember, he's spending a lot of time trying to keep up with where Malfoy. Well, his suspicions, right. his suspicion starts when he sees him. Slip and, his mother and go to Borgen and Borgen and, Bor and so he's yeah. he's been watching Malfoy from the beginning of this book. So this is the this is when he's starting to and he's been telling um you know Ron and 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 Hermione and they've been poo pooing it and now he's making accusations outside of Ron and Hermione with um with this particular incident with the necklace. Well, he well I mean. I keep wondering how this necklace is meant to work, though, because um, it's meant to uh, kill. 
Yeah, but I mean, yeah. like, how, how how am I gonna get it to one person to the other person? Is it constantly gonna be wrapped up, and then when said person ever touches it, they die? Yeah, I think, I think it, it was, was probably yeah supposed to be presented as a gift, and then someone would open it, and if they right. touched it too long, they would die. Well, they did not touch it too long; just merely touching it. No, because no, Katie touched it. No, but... what what happened is that Kaylee Katie had a hole in her glove, and it greased across it. Right. right, so so she so, was touched. So if right, you touch it for too long or you have too I much assume, exposure, you're oh, going to oh, die. I, my because assumption is that if you picked it up like a regular necklace would, when you have like your full-on contact with it, that the, the death would be almost instantaneous at this point. Because remember, she went through this almost petrified state that they couldn't explain. Right. She, they couldn't explain what it is that happened to her. Right. So it's almost as if, like, um, this was almost like the situation where a little bit like when you saw the reflection of the... Um, exactly, of the basilisk. The, the basilisk. Mm-hmm. So this is why I was saying in terms of, like, so this thing is existing within, you know, Borg and Borg on the shelf. Like, they have to wear a glove when they touch, when they pick it up. I mean, like, the person who is examining the glove, who's examining the, the necklace, whatever the case may be, also cannot touch it when it's being packaged, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then right. you, so clearly when you're presenting this to someone, you are clearly presenting this in secrecy, right? Like, no, this can't be with her good girlfriend, right? Like your aim is to kill. And the other thing, it's meant to kill a woman more than likely, right? That, you know, men. Well, you know, when you think about it, though, I mean, you think about some of the dress robes and you think about some of the, the characters um, that the, they're some of the male, some of the wizarding clothing, you could have something almost like that you might see on a, on a sovereign or on a king or a prince, you know, where there is some jewelry um, on, on someone like that. It wouldn't necessarily have to be um, just for a woman. No, um, I think it's meant for a woman because I think there, there's a, there, is a, um, there was a mention where they said that we couldn't see what it is that he was carrying and he said he would look like a right prat going outside with a necklace right that he couldn't it, right that's what I, I took it to be that it was that it was a woman's thing or whatever the case may be and again it was like so odd because you rarely ever see a lot of jewelry per se in the magical world you know what I mean well, we, beyond we, like I know, guess rings a- yeah, the ring and the locket and but you know the thing of it is I don't remember where was she supposed to take it she was supposed to take. She she didn't know. She didn't remember. Because okay. remember, well, it because, was supposed to go to Dumbledore, right? Yeah, but, but she didn't been, remember. She didn't. No, remember she what wouldn't happened. remember because she was under the Imperius curse. Right. But she, I mean, it 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 could have been just a hey, look what I got situation. Even you know, it didn't necessarily have to be presented as a gift for it to get to the person that it was intended for and then to touch it. No, If you give somebody something wrapped up and you tell them to open it, they're going to open it. Like it doesn't right. matter what's actually inside. It doesn't matter that it's a necklace or that we may have perceived that necklace to be intended for a woman. I don't think any of that's relevant because if you give someone something and say, here, this is for you, they're going to open it. Doesn't matter and, if they use it. Right. If it and curses, once they once they've touched it, it doesn't it's not gonna matter. Yeah, you, point, you, don't you don't have to put you don't have to put it on. You just gotta touch it. So exactly. it, it, the fact that it was maybe intended for a woman, it, I don't think that's relevant at all. Well, well, that's, you just I, needed I, I, to I, get it to where it was going. 
But the and other actually, thing was when you that said it, that it has to be done, it has to be done in secrecy, in, in the sense that someone else can't be present. Well, sure. I mean, I if guess you gonna could. Kill you if it's going to kill you, nobody's going to be there to see it. So that's not even. Yeah, that's not really true either. No, 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 no. Like, like, let's say, let's say, I'm going to give you the necklace, right? I'm not going to give you the necklace with Deb present. With a group of people. With a I group see. of people. With, with one other person right. present. Because we're going to know, well, this is the thing that killed Janina. Yeah. And, and, you and, we, don't, and Janina. we don't know if she was just imperious in, in such a way as to just leave it at Dumbledore's. And not even right. present it. You know, just well, to, well, that some right, kind of issue I, I think, leave it I think somewhere where he would it, get it. It was never meant for her to touch it. No, no, because that wouldn't help her to happened. get up to the to the castle, because it's going to make it impossible for her to do that if she if she was the one if she touched it before she got there, and the only reason it it made it to the castle after she touched it was because they followed her, because they were walking behind her, mm-hmm. and saw what she was. Um, no, you know, remember, remember, fight broke up because the fight broke up between he and she and her friend. Right. That's how right. We, that's how her opening it and touching right. it and that, taking it, right. period. The I friend think, was right. saying, I said, well, you should have never taken that. Right. Yeah, the friend's like, you shouldn't have taken that. That's why they were fighting. And basically, basically, she was just being nosy. She it was never meant to open that up. No, it wasn't open. I think if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. what happened was that she couldn't explain to the friend because she went to the bathroom right? and she remembers that bit. She something right. happened to her in the bathroom and she came back with the package and she said she has to take this up to the school. Right. And the friend is like, where did you get this from? Like, what's happening here? And she just like, mind your business, basically. I got to do what I got to do. And she is changing the friend and going back to the school and then the fight is breaking up because the friend is just like, I don't, I don't trust whatever is happening here. That you, something is happening here that's not okay. And you shouldn't, you shouldn't be taking this up to the school. You should be leave it where you leave it, put it back, or get somebody and whatever. And they were, I think they were fighting over the package because yeah. um, she said that. That's was, what her friend says, "I found the passage." She said that's why we were arguing. She came back from the bathroom and the three broomsticks holding it said it was a surprise for somebody at Hogwarts, and she had to deliver it. She looked all funny when she said it. Oh no! Oh no! I bet she'd been imperious, and I didn't realize. Right. She didn't say who'd given it to her. No, she wouldn't tell me. And I said she was being stupid and not to take it up to the school, but she just wouldn't listen. And then I tried to grab it from her and... That's what happened. Her fingers... So this is the thing. It didn't make sustained contact. Her fingers passed... There was a hole in the glove. Right. And her finger passed across the thing. And that's when I think they, Harry and, and, and Hermione and Ron, they were, they were behind them. They mm-hmm. saw the drama, you know, like, you know, as school children, we're all up in the business. We're right. all up in the business. And this, I mean, that's a frightening scene. And, and particularly for someone like Harry. Woo. And I think, you know, she, and it says that she was, she was lucky. Um, when, when, when Harry does have the conversation with Dumbledore about it, says she appears to have brushed the necklace with the smallest possible amount of skin. There right. was a tiny hole in her glove. Had she put it on, had she even held it in her ungloved hand, she would have died, perhaps instantly. Mm-hmm. Luckily, Professor Snape was able to do enough to prevent a rapid spread of the curse. So once again, you know, um, Dumbledore is reaching out to Snape 
because he knew that this was, you know, that this is going to be a bigger, bigger deal than something that Madam Pumphrey could handle. I, but also, I always suspected in those instances, and I think we would see another episode of that where Snape comes to the rec- rescue with dark magic. I always figured that Snape knew far more particularly what it could have been. Yeah. And the counter post thereof, or the counter potion thereof, whatever the case yeah. may be. It's not to say that I never, I never assumed that Dumbledore didn't know, but I think Dumbledore had to have done too much process of elimination, whereas opposed to somebody like Severus would have a far, would have known the option right away. Oh, yeah. Severus, that's why he went there. That's why he went there. That's why he got Snape to do the same thing with the ring. You know, he, he knows, he has no doubt about Snape's skills. At all. And the, the fact that Snape, what, you know, what he might even have to spend time, as clever as he is, figuring out that Snape is just, that's, that's just what he knows. Well, and not to mention the fact that, I mean, we don't, we don't have all the details yet, but having read all these books, I mean, Snape, Snape's working from the inside. He knows more than we know that he knows at this point. When it's all said and done, it's easy to go back and go, he probably knew way more than anybody knew he knew, including Voldemort, because he was, listen, at the end of the day, Snape was able to hoodwink the Dark Lord, period. So he probably knew, he probably knew about this necklace. I mean, he knew all, you know, he knew, he knew all of these things, even though we never truly get that information. I think once you have consumed the entire series, it's safe to say that Snape knew all of the happenings. Well, also I I just, I I just assume that Snape was, um, because I think Lily would mention later on, that he was with his friends, that his friends, they were up to, they were always up to some shady nonsense. And I assume that he would have known a necklace like this, because I don't think we've seen this necklace. This necklace, we're not always in Bogan and Books, but this was a recent uh, um, invention, uh, addition to Bogan and Books. And no, even we've Bogan seen and Books. No, 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 no. When I say recent, it wasn't there like years and years upon like second like Voldemort's time. I meant that since Harry went into the shop, it was there. And Bogan and Box would have also known what this that they because there is a sign, I think there was a sign that says do not touch. So they knew the capability of the necklace. Right. There was some there was something about the necklace that said you couldn't touch the necklace. That was in the shop. Mm-hmm. That's knew, why Harry thought that's why Harry was uh, so sure that, that this was something um that, that Malfoy, 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 Malfoy knows about this necklace. I was in a case. It was in a case at Borgen and Borks four mm-hmm. years ago. I saw him having a good look at it while I, while I was hiding from him and his dad. And so he did he, take something from the shop this time right. around. Right. So, but they couldn't see what it was. So, right. but, but again, and the thing that annoys me is that everyone thinks that Harry is, is making this up. That he's over-exaggerating. McGonagall right. shows him that... Right. Malfoy could not have been the perpetrator because he was doing a detention. He had failed to complete her transfiguration homework. And, you know, so, but she didn't kick him out of the class. I'm just saying, girl, you, you refuse to take Neville <laughs> and Drake Wayne doing shit in class. I'm just, girl, see how y'all messy. Um, but 
but but but Harry is determined about this. Harry will not let Harry will not let this this die down. He no. is no. all about this. And, and you know what? And I again, like, I think we've mentioned, we've talked about this before. Just like I am just surprised that they are not that they don't even give this a second thought because they uh-huh. kept thinking, you know, like, well, he's sixteen, he wouldn't do this. And I'm just like, mm, people. I think a lot of it just comes from. I, I I I'm assuming that when you say that you mean Ron and Hermione, right? Yes. More okay. So I think that a lot of that just comes from the fact that Harry and Malfoy are constantly butting heads and going at each other. Um, even though we talked about before that the real rivalry there is more Malfoy and Ron, but we're supposed to believe that it's Harry and Draco. And I think that it's easy for Ron and Hermione to kind of push that aside because it is Harry's natural response to blame Malfoy without evidence. And he doesn't really have any. He has a little bit, but he doesn't have like this overwhelming amount of evidence to lay out in front of people and say, I know he did this. He's he's really going on his gut in the fact that he follows him into the store and he heard little bits of a piece of conversation. So, you know, I, I don't think it's that odd that they're not. It's frustrating, but I don't think it's that odd that they're like, Harry, come on. Like, you always do this. You always think it's Malfoy and it's not. Or, you know, I think it's that kind of situation. Well, really no, no. They assumed my no they no they had a far more specific reason. They are just like well, they're saying it, he's not a Death Eater. He's sixteen. Right? Why would he be a Death Eater at sixteen? And I just thought that I mean, was just I, so, I I don't know. I just I would just because I'm just like children. You know the fact that it was this man who killed Moon Mo- and Mortal. He set up Moon and Mortal at this age, right? That he was willing. He had committed murder already. And was willing to, and it was on the warpath to let so much more even, because they knew from this year too, that only not only was Tom Riddle capable of committing murder, that he was on a rampage. But he's an exception. Only reason why he's, huh? He's an exception. Yeah. He, I, he started this. Right. I don't think it's fair to assume. No. I, I think it's, I think it makes sense to say, Draco's 16. Come on. He's not going to be a Death Eater. Who's going to let him in? And the reason that it, it, yes, you're thinking about, you're thinking about Voldemort who started it. So all of them were young and they came up together. I get that. But we have no reason to believe that there are young people who are Death Eaters other than the ones who created the group initially themselves. It seems like That's from that true. point, but where they are don't the know, children? They there don't are no know children. But actually, that's not true because Snape was part of the Dead Eaters while he was in school. He, he was, was fascinated with dark magic. We don't. No, know no, 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 no. He was in school either. because that's 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 the thing. I mean, don't get ahead. That is the thing that that Lily accuses him of being a Death Eater. Yes, because you said you don't even deny it. But After I he think, had called I, her I, mud I, blood, I, and this I was in year five. I think one of the issues around. Um, Draco, though, is a um, they they kind of underestimate Draco, and I think they don't see Draco in the same the same um, way category. that Harry sees that Harry sees Draco. 
they see right. Draco as well, being a benign, spoiled, bratty, you exactly. know, like 16-year-old. Exactly. But, and they, they do not see him. You know, Harry Harry understands. I think he has his instinct is that there is something much more devious going on here. But for Ron and Hermione, they really don't. They see Draco as a bully. They mm-hmm. see Draco as, you know, um, just any who will do anything to anybody within the teenage world. But they do not see him. They don't think of him as well. At 16, you know, uh, Tom Riddle was doing stuff like they don't see him like that. They don't. They, and they see. And we remember the wizarding world sees Voldemort as something as a sui generis, that he is one of a kind, that they're that even if they have death eaters, they're still not at his level. So I don't think that it's that far fetched that but, they would not be able to see Draco um, as capable of doing some of the things that Harry thinks he's doing. But you see. I didn't necessarily, when I'm saying he's like um, Draco, I didn't necessarily mean that he, I imagined that he was going to be a la, um, in the sense that he was going to do something as, you know, mind-blowing as uh, Malf, as as Voldemort. But that, that is the thing that's frustrating me, that they kept seeing him as a bully. That right. they didn't think that this boy who won... You saw how he was running around the school, acting like an idiot. But but maybe maybe because Deb, before we got on the air, Deb mentioned something, and I think we should bring it up here that she she notes that um, that Rowling is not necessarily someone who is writing about teenagers being close to teenagers. That she didn't have she's she's not an expert in teenage behavior. Right. So she's writing sort of an adjacent from her own imagination. But in many ways, we sort of see much of what we see Malfoy's venom is usually directed at Harry, Ron, and Hermione. That he might be obnoxious to younger kids and maybe Neville, but he doesn't see him, you know, he's not a horror to Dean and Seamus that we're aware of. He doesn't seem to be trying to fight bigger boys, like, you know, the people who are in years ahead of him. Because we can't right. ever meet those people per se. So maybe in many ways, she she keeps the, the, the Draco versus Harry as a sort of a personal thing. And not necessarily in terms of political, because Malfoy seemed to came in seemed to come into Hogwarts expecting my father is the biggest, has, is is almost like the hand of the king and has mm-hmm. more influence. You know, he's right. in charge. He holds the Ministry of Magic as a puppet. Now come to find out that in year five, Harry don't tell everyone my daddy's a dead eater, that he was with Voldemort. People didn't believe, but guess what? We find out Voldemort is back, and also my father was arrested for breaking into the Ministry of Magic like a common thief, <laughs> right? <laughs> and that is just, that's all over the news, right? And that, and all these people lost their position and whatever the case may be. And Harry even says it to his face, right? Harry says, you know, everyone knows that your father's a big git, you know, all this thing. He said it twice at the end of book five and in the shop in book six. So, Malfoy, in in my mind, you know, for me, Malfoy is rage. So even though I didn't think, you know, like whatever he's capable of, I considered him a wounded animal because and that he is most dangerous at this point. Because the thing that is uh, because we would later find out there is grumbling between his little trio, him and Crab and Goyle, there is still there is drama going on between them. Because Crab and Goyle sort of like are, are no longer 
they're like, yeah, this is a setup because Malfoy had control, was the king of the Death Eaters before Voldemort came back. Now that position is is kind of isn't so much so, and we have um we we're having drama between, and so that is causing conflict. So I always thought for me, I, Draco Malfoy was always dangerous, always well, from book well, one. I, I do th- well, we remember we know something. Readers know something that Ron and Hermione don't know. Well, Harry doesn't know it either. We know that Draco has been given a task by the Dark Lord. Mm-hmm. We know this because we saw Spinner's End. We saw that we saw that whole episode. So we know as a reader that yes, Malfoy could be up to something, but we don't know exactly what the task is because they never really say what the task is at that point. Right. Now, Harry is going on his gut about, you know, and and what he heard overheard in hiding when he was at Borgen and Bork and Borks. Ron and Hermione don't have the they only have they have Harry's rendition of this and they understand that Harry is bitter about um you know Malfoy. Malfoy's father, yes, he's locked up in Azkaban, but he is alive. Whereas Sirius came out of that, you know, he didn't come out of that exchange. Right. Malfoy went to jail for it, but Sirius didn't come out of it at all. So they understand, and so they're kind of like, yeah, we, we get it, but, you know, and they try to talk him out of it. But, but um, I think that what Harry has been through, especially with losing Sirius, he is on a, he's kind of much more on a razor's edge when it comes to that whole, all of those people that he feels have cost him, once again, a family. Mm-hmm. So I can understand... The, I can understand both sides. I can understand why he, well, of course, because as a reader, we know that Draco is not just doing his usual bullying stuff, that he has been given something important to do and something dangerous. In fact, he's not bullying anyone, actually. He's not even con- interacting with people, mostly, like he used to. We know that, um, and we know that whatever he's been given to do could cost him his life. So he's been given something really dangerous to do. But Ron and Hermione, and nobody else knows that, but Harry has a little inkling that this is not quite the usual Draco. So I think all of them have, they're well positioned in terms of what, of where they're coming from in their responses to what is happening. I believe that Harry's gut is, you know, and his, his own, his own feelings about, I'm not trusting any of these people anymore. Because they, it cost me my family once again. But and also, so I, I see them much more nefarious than even my friends who were there with me. But, but also, interesting, I've lost more. But interesting enough, um, now that you say that, Deb, I was thinking maybe on Ron and Hermione's end, maybe they don't trust Harry's instinct. Because his instinct almost got them killed. Got them killed, and yeah. And serious completely... Exactly. Was, exactly. com- was completely exactly. wrong. And, and they, they love him. They love him. And remember, Hermione says, you have a little bit of this, you know, got to save the world thing. Save the world complex. And maybe their, their strategy, because last time around, around when they thought that his instinct were wrong, they went along with him. 
They tried anyway, to talk right? him out of it. And, and they he tried, tried to talk to him out, but they went along. They went along. A, as... And he, he did remember he tried a couple of things to, to verify what his what the what the what was happening with Voldemort's but connection. But they still didn't mind. believe his instinct anyway. At <clears> right. mind, he was adamant right. that they were wrong. And his instinct, right. he only accepts the fact he never he never acknowledged to them that he was wrong. <laughs> he acknowledged we as the reader know he acknowledged to himself that he had been wrong. And now they're like, you know what, we ain't going along with you, boo. But there's also a part that is here that, you know, that Hermione and Ron are trying to hold on to their childhood innocence. And Harry has lost that. Harry is no longer, because twice now, um, he saw Cedric die and he saw um, Sirius die. Mm -hmm. So he understands what these people are about. You know what I mean? That he's not not taking any chances with the death eaters because at the end of the day they're all about killing people right. are going to die every single time so i can see I, I see what you're saying in terms of like from both ends of the spectrum but you know so you're, you're right because now i was ready to be like god hermione and ran like why y'all and give harry some space but i'm just like you know what girl i think harry's an, as an asshole you're right so i would not bother with him <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> I wouldn't oh, have him. I'd be like, you know, I, and it's true. I mean, like, I keep forgetting that, you know, Harry, we and we discussed this in book five, right? Like how Harry was so irresponsible. Like he led his friends to death. You know what I mean? Like to and even if the death, even if he didn't even think the death eaters would have been there, he led a gang of six teenagers to go face Voldemort. <laughs> like right. whether or not he wanted them to come or not. I would have been just like, okay, if y'all are saying that y'all must come, I would have stopped, you know what I mean? Because I wouldn't have wanted them to go. I would have tried to get away from them and go by myself. But, you know, but anyway, let's not get ahead. But I think, you know, but the, the, the impetuousness um, and the reacting is true to form for Harry. You know, I'm, I'm not getting off of that. Is that Harry's a reactor? Right, we've seen Damn this it. so many times, right? We've seen him react many times. You know, just running out there, and you know, I'm going out there on sheer gumption um, and just sheer grit, and you know, with with what I know about, you know, with my little expelliarmus, I'm just gonna go out there and work and try to work it. Well, so, it's so frustrating because this time he's actually right. So that's right. why it's so, you know, it's frustrating for the reader. It's frustrating, you know, for Harry. We're like, oh my gosh, you, because, because again, like you said, we have pieces of information that Ron and Hermione don't have. So we're like, why don't y'all just listen? But I, you're right. Why would they? Right. So, but I, but I, but as we move on from Prendon, we've been talking about the necklace. Um, it kind of leads us to the next meeting with um, Dumbledore, and when they talk about, um, you know, we're now we're talking about a different necklace. We're talking about Slytherin's locket, mm. and um, we're talking about we're, we're finding even more backstory about Merope. And um, how she managed to survive the last few months before she gave birth to Tom by selling um, Slytherin's locket. And um, so we know we really do see that just how grim the beginnings of Tom Riddle were. 
But the ring is not the ring. We never get an explanation of what happened to the ring. What you mean? What do you mean? Like because um, Morphin would say at some point that she took the ring. He didn't seem necessary. I mean, he may have said the ring and the locket, but we know the ring. We don't know what happened to the ring. We know. For, I don't remember clearly that she took the locket. She sells the locket to Borgen and Borgs, and Borgen and Borg eventually sells this locket to um, Miss. She has a name that is. Um, yeah, that woman. Yeah, <laughs> we don't. That's fine, it, but Hokey's, the ring. Hokey's, um, Hokey's owner. Hepzibah <laughs> Smith. There you Hepzibah. go. Hepzibah. Yeah. Um, I. The description of Hepzibah ain't right. Didn't Dumbledore um, steal the ring when no. he went and killed the family? No. Who Dumbledore? I no, mean Voldemort. No, no, no. no the ring. The ring. We we saw the ring in the gone shack. The ring was. The ring. The ring has nothing. Voldemort doesn't take anything off um, the riddles except the bone, right? That he, he takes the about ring, the bone. No, no, the, 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 the ring was the gone. But he he had to have left the ring. She had to have left the ring behind because the ring is there when Dumbledore comes. Right, because Morphin had the ring. Right. Because Voldemort takes the ring from Morphin, I think. But Morphin says something about he he complains that the ring goes missing, and the Ministry of Magic takes Morphin in, right? Believing that he killed the riddles, right? That much I think we are we are told. What what's your point, Reels? No, 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 no. Because I I'm I'm trying to figure out. Because I thought that I I thought that Marope took both both jewelry pieces of jewelry with her, but apparently no. she only took the locket. No, and see, Marvolo showed the ring to Ogden. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, he doesn't. We he we Dumbledore doesn't tell us how he acquired the ring because Harry asked him, "Have you always?" Yeah, we had never it? get to know that. We don't know how he how got who acquired the ring. Dumbledore. We know how well Dumbledore got the ring. Not yet. Oh, not at this point. Dumb. Every time Harry asks, Dumbledore says, "That's a great tale. I'll tell you okay, later. I'll okay, tell okay. you later. I'll tell okay. you later." You so we don't know. Yeah, yeah we mind. don't know yet. But now I just, we, I... we just know that um, that she has the that she got she took the locket when she left right. and she wound up taking it to um, to, to, to well, Mister Burke. He was one of the founders. And um, so she's alone, desperate in, in London, in need of gold, and she sells it for ten gallons. Ten gallons. <laughs> Next and, to back in the day money. Yeah, and Harry asks, "Well, why couldn't she have used magic?" Reels, Reels' his favorite question, um, to get food and everything else that she needed. Right, and Dumbledore and, gives an explanation. So this is why yeah. I was. This is why it goes back to be. This thing as to why I always assume when Janina made an excellent point last time when she said that she probably we're assuming that she could have saved herself. She died in childbirth. We just right. took that to she she just took that to be one of the naturally occurring infant um, mother's maternal um, mortality rate. Usually, have given a baby is a dangerous time for women. But I took I thought that she didn't. I took it to be that. And when um. 
Voldemort said, you know, why couldn't you? She saved herself with magic. I didn't take it, Janine, that's what that's made it, you know, why she just died. But I took it to be when, when um, Harry asked the question that, you know, when Harry asked Dumbledore the question, Dumbledore says, um, proposed this theory that she probably, because of how she couldn't keep um, Tom Riddle without magic, she just stopped using magic. And well, she, she stopped using magic. And also, I think she, he says that her, not only that, but her suffering, um, all of those <laughs> things contributed to her and said she was greatly weakened by long suffering and she never had your mother's courage. So she was beaten down in the, in the beginning when she, the one little spark she showed was to make a love potion and steal off with Tom Riddle. And that was such a temporary, I mean, you think about it, that was just one little blip on the screen in the way she had lived her life. The rest of her life was cowering, um, belittled, abuse, um, abuse. There was nothing there she could draw on to say, okay, I'm now I'm going to live for my child. That's not realistic when she had no re inner resources left to draw on to say that. And no physical so, resources either because the man had left Physical or internal. Yeah. There was no family a, to go back no to. There was no family, no fortitude. And she didn't have, there was nothing to have built an internal fortitude from. She just didn't have it. So she just kind of basically lost the will to live. And just, you know, and she said, but she had a choice, didn't she? Not like my mother. Said your mother had a choice too. Yes, Merope Riddle chose death in spite of a son who needed her, but don't judge her too harshly. So I think Voldemort is saying, you know, this is not a woman who had in her the ability. He to thought pull that she didn't up. have magic. He thought that you she know didn't that have magic, magic and she didn't all. have courage. Not only did she not have magic, she she laid down her magic and she never had courage. So there was nothing for her to work with. No, I mean, I didn't take it that way. I took it that he meant that because he was already showing contempt for humans and non-magic people, uh, or he had some sense in himself that he was different and he, he assumed his difference was superiority, clearly I mean, from the beginning. Riddle. Riddle, yes, baby Riddle. Riddle. But I'm, I'm talking about Merope. Merope was the one who laid down the magic and didn't have any courage either. So she, so she just basically lost the will to live, and oh, no, then no, 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 I, no, I get what, no, I was saying that Tom Riddle was making some a similar assumption that because that because he assumed at the beginning that she was not the magic one, right? That the magic right. person had to have been his father. That he thought that she was weak. He wasn't even thinking in terms of courage or not, because as we know, he doesn't really have much. He's not a brave man, right? Um, He's always got a gang. He's talking, he's talking all this game, but he's always seeing his posse. But, um, but I just assume that that he made the assumption by saying, you know, that his mother wasn't magical and she was so weak as a human, and then she died because of that. But you know, Janine also pointed out, you know, that he was relying that he figured that you know that even even if she had, if she were a witch, she would have used magic to stay alive for him. But right. apparently avoid death and that, you know, he was wandering and therefore it's the, 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 the machinations, uh, 
in his head about, you know, like, oh, how can magic be used? So from that point, so basically he was obsessed about a whole crux uh, thing, a whole crooksy thing he like of how to stay alive with magic, how you can cheat dead with magic, which I thought was really, really, I was just like, wow. So Tom, from Janina's perspective, Tom Riddle was a bad seed. I mean, J.K. Rowling is putting that out there. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like she's, yeah, she is. She, well, she's, she's making that no. Like, he's a product of rape. You know, like he has right. been in an orphanage, and he has been. But she doesn't. She doesn't speak of the children being abused in the orphanage. You know, like, and it seemed like in the orphanage he was the threat. Even the adults feared him because he right. had his own room. You know, and. They were like, oh, he's not coming back here until the holiday season. Is that what you're saying? Just like, ooh. She was just and, like, and we remember take she, it. When, when Dumbledore is basically interviewing her and asking her questions, she's like, before she answers, you know, that, so it's for sure, he's definitely going out of here. <laughs> like, I'm, I, I'm not going to answer this truthfully. You're taking him, right? You're taking him, right? Even if yeah. I tell you some crazy stuff, you're still going to take him. So she's been very careful, very cagey, how she um, how she answers, and she said, you know, he scares the other children, and you you, you mean he's a bully? Well, and I think he's probably been be... rejected from parents from a, temp, a potential adoption. Right. That he probably but... has been brought back. <clears throat> you said brought back. Stop it. I right? mean, but, I because mean, I mean, you know, well, you that's don't what I that, assume. From, huh? don't know that. No, that's why I assume that she said that thing when she says, nothing that I say to you, well, it would change your mind about your place. Shit. And yes, but I mean, the, but the kids are like, yeah, but I mean, that's, that's, you're reaching, you're reaching no, far. No, I don't think I'm reaching because orphanage is set up, I mean, orphanage is not a, the, the idea of an orphanage is not the clearly forever. talks about how Mrs. the other oh. children <laughs> are okay. afraid of him. I call her Mrs. Hannigan. But she's, she, she clearly talks about how he's different and how the other kids, and she doesn't even have the language to describe him and Dumbledore says, is he a bully? And she says, mm, he must be. All I know is so and so were never the same after they came back out well, of that but no, because but, like, she, but she said that because no one would admit that what, is, what he has done. I understand that, but my point is I think you're really reaching to say that someone adopted him or thought no, no, about no, no, it. No, 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 no. I'm not saying. What I'm simply saying is that there is a possibility because they take these children out on loans, uh, trial, or something like that. I mean, like because the idea is to always not get these in this book. Home. We have no information in this book to tell us that that's happened. I mean, we got to go with what we have. I'm just simply, I'm just simply saying that when she says the fact that you would take him, no matter what. That she was, she's always for that. Even if somebody, my thing is, even if someone came there, that she wouldn't, she wouldn't, she wouldn't volunteer Tom Riddle initially. I think right? she probably would, but when she told him, because she clearly wants him gone, I think she would offer him up immediately. But then when, you know, someone asks about him or, or if they just watch and observe, that they probably wouldn't watch him. And that's probably why she's like, are you sure you're taking him? Because if you're going to interview me about him and you're going to ask questions about him, if I'm honest with you, are you still going to take him? I really think, it, I mean, I don't know. That's, that's how I took it for sure. I never thought that 
you know, somebody was interested and, and didn't want him or maybe took him and brought him back. I just, we, we have a clear pattern of behavior that's laid out of how he is in the orphanage and interacting with the other kids. Who the hell would want him? Maybe Who would more. want him? But He's an asshole. Point. He's an right. asshole. I, right, and, and, and not only is he in the diff most difficult kind, because she says we can't. Nobody's caught him at it. Right, exactly. They just I know that he that people you know, you affected when he's around them. The but we haven't bunny, caught him at it. The bunny the, hanging at out of the raptors, dead. You know, it certainly didn't hang himself. You know, I but, mean, but they don't know. But also, they they have tried to put psychiatrists. They've tried to give him psychiatrists or something. Mm -hmm. They've tried in some way mm -hmm. to do something about him. So even the adults are afraid of him because Mrs. Cole isn't Which talking is exactly to... why she says, if I tell you this, are you really going to take him? Right. This is what I'm saying. So, so even so I, I'm thinking, you know, like, even if he was, if they try to get rid of him the traditional way, which is, well, typically they used to kill babies, but he wasn't crying. Um, in the typical way, in you know, of trying to get them adopted, they know that he's in a potential case of adoption. They can't get rid of him this way, right? And he he's looking, and he always goes back to the orphanage. I uh, go uh, actually used to run around London by himself. He says, you know what I mean? An eleven-year-old kid. He's just like you know, like I go around London. I know London's in the back of my hand loads of times. Mm -hmm. So he. Mm -hmm. Which I presume that he probably would have seen some element of magical world in some way, and just he couldn't go in. But he wouldn't in. have known what he was seeing. We don't know what he was seeing, and presuming if he could read, you know what I mean? Like because um, again, Gringotts was a place that he even when he could see it was a place of longing. He couldn't go in there. He didn't have any goal or anything like that. Right. Right. So he. Was, I mean, like. In some cases, you know, I wanted to feel some level of sympathy for him, but God, ooh. Oh, oh no. I never felt sympathy no. for him at all. He was I thought, so you're awful. a jerk. And, you know, he, and even, and I thought that the only person who could have dealt with a Tom Riddle was Dumbledore. Because everything he did to try to push, to try to assume, you know, what he, what I guess worked with the kids in the school. And the adults. He tried it, and the adults in the school, to intimidate them, Dumbledore wasn't having it. And he just didn't even, you know, he was very patient with him. No, that's not why I'm here. No, we're, you know, I'll, I'll tell you all in good time. And he's definitely doing all of that in a very clear, um, calculating way. And then finally, when he says, you know, he knows exactly who Tom is to that point. You know, he finds out later that he's even worse. Remember, he said he mm -hmm. didn't know that he was looking at the darkest wizard or whatever. Right. But he said, um, you know, that he there's certain things you're not going to be able to do when you get to Hogwarts. Like we don't have thieving, and you're going to turn return mm -hmm. all the stuff that you <laughs> gathered up in here, yeah. mm -hmm. and you're going to mm -hmm. apologize. And this is what you're going to do. Well, and I'm sure, even though it's not stated, he was probably using occlumency or legilimens. Legilimens. He was persuading That's people. what I just said. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I fixed it. <laughs> <laughs> but in yeah. the, when he when he met him, that's, you know, he, I mean, how else would he have known well, that he, he was, had but, this stuff in the cupboard? So Tom was probably, like, nervous about it or whatever. Dumbledore would have sensed that energy. Well, I, I, I mean, he wouldn't have just... He, I, I assume that it was a spell Dumbledore cast. 
that that was the nature of the spell that he cast. Well, it could be um, either. I mean, it, it could be either, I guess. It could have been that he was using uh, Legilimens or there was something, you know, maybe he was just deciding to try to test it out, but he clearly knew that he had stolen things. So... Dumbledore. My favorite part was when is is how he spoke to Dumbledore initially. He's just like, like I'm not sick. It's she who's sick, <laughs> you know, like she's that crazy. Like, right. talking. <laughs> uh, she, yeah, she, she's the one who should be locked up, no, not me. Right. <laughs> Which might be implying something else. Going I mean, on he qu- he questions big time who Dumbledore really is. But he right, wants to absolutely make sure that he's not a doctor or you know some kind of psychiatrist or there to take him and, and and put him in some asylum of some sort. So that part, I think, you know, yeah, they've tried something. Yeah. And I think they, you know, they probably did with the limited resources that they had or, you know, whatever they could, I guess people volunteer time to come and perform different roles at the orphanage. They've tried, but you know, he obviously he was a case that they couldn't, um, they, they couldn't deal with. And so this is what they've done. They've basically isolated him as much as possible to keep him from doing even more things to people, but they say they just can't catch him at it. So he's definitely oh. clever. And if they've got doctors and whatnot coming in to examine him and try to figure something out, he probably did something to them. And But as an adult, are you really going to say, like, this child did something to me? They're just going to be like, I don't know, can't, can't right. help you, sorry, bye. Well, it, in the book, it says um, there was no trace of the gaunts in Tom Riddle's face. And so not only Maropi right. was ugly, but that the whole lot of them was ugly. Oh, Maropi got her dying He was his phantom father in miniature, tall for 11 years old, dark hair and pale. Like, Pale is constantly being attached to this boy, even from a young child. And he gets pale and paler. His eyes narrowed slightly as he took in Dumbledore's eccentric appearance. There was a moment's silence. How do you do, Tom, said Dumbledore, walking forward and holding out his hand. The boy hesitated, then took it, then shook, and then shook both, and they shook hands. Dumbledore drew up the hard wooden chair beside the riddle so that the pair of them look rather in a rather like a hospital patient and visitor i am professor dumbledore professor repeated riddle he looked very he looked weary is that like a doctor what are you here for did she get you to have a look at me he was pointing at the door towards which mrs cold had just left no no dumbledore smiled said dumbledore smiling i don't believe you said riddle she wants me looked at doesn't she tell the truth that part when he commands he almost commands dumbledore oh yeah and then later on he goes on to um he spoke the last three words with a ring of force that was almost shocking it was a command and it sounded as though he had given it many times before mm-hmm. so he wasn't he was used to talking to adults he, he does wanted. it again so when what, when um, isn't it just right after that when well or is it before when dumbledore says that you know they're wizards he tells him prove it no well before that that happens says, after this passage that yeah, you just it's, it's read ha- it happens after dumbledore says something um i work at a school called hogwarts i come to offer you a place at my school your new school if you would like to come riddle's reaction to this was most surprising he leapt from the bed and backed away from dumbledore looking furious you can't kid me 
the asylum, that's where you're from, isn't it? Professor, yes, of course. Well, I'm not going to see. That will catch the one who should be in the asylum. I never did anything to little Amy Benson or Dennis Bishop. You can ask them, he'll tell you. So, um, this, this is the kind of thing that you, that, that here is some of, he's showing some of his power that we know he's good at, right? Is this because we would see it with, in other instances, where he is removing a memory of something that is happening and in place in something else. He's make because I'm sure Mrs. Cole was just like, tell me what happened. The last time we saw you, you were with Tom. And they're like, oh no. Tom is like, Tom is like taboo. It's almost like he made his name taboo. That no one would speak of Tom being the one responsible for anything that they have done to them. And but the part that you're talking about, Janina, when um, which is I keep I forgot about this part. He said. Um, Dumbledore said there was a silence. Um, Hogwarts, Dumbledore went on, though he had not heard Riddle's last word. Um, I'd like to see them try, because when Dumbledore says he's not <laughs> asylum, Tom is ready to fight. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> this little boy is like, he is. But, you know, all this to me didn't read as being, not all of it, some of it, this kind of attitude, like flight or flight. This is kind of like, well, this isn't how Harry took his information about being magical. But See, and that's how Harry learned about Tom it. Tom grew up in but, a far more, I would say in many cases, Tom grew up in a far more rough world because in orphanages, British orphanages are notoriously horrible, particularly if this was linked to any uh, Catholic establishment. Oh, my God. They were even, because Oliver Twist is based about Oliver grew up in an orphanage, and they were killing babies left, right, and center. They were underfeeding them. So he probably saw, you know, and, and remember, he he was not a baby who cried. So right. they probably, so he assumed, because, and he would say at some point, he hated the crying babies. At some point, he would, in a memory, he would say he hated the crying babies. So he took crying to be a sign of weakness. Um, Hogwarts Dumbledore went on as though he had not heard Riddle's last word. It's a school for people with special abilities. I'm not mad. So he gave, he has to reassure everybody he's not crazy. Boo, you're crazy. You're a social, you're a psychopath. Just so you know, I know you're not mad. Hogwarts is not a school for mad people. It is a school of magic. There was silence. Riddle had frozen, his face expressionless, but his eyes were flickering black and forth between each of Dumbledore's, as though trying to catch one of them lying. Magic, he repeated in a whisper. That's right, said Dumbledore. It. It's magic, what I can do. What is it that you can do? All sorts, breathed Riddle. A flash of excitement was rising up in his neck and into his hollow cheek. He looked fevered. I can make things move without touching them. I can make animals do what I want them to do without training them. I can make bad things happen to people who annoy me. I can make them hurt if I want to. His legs were trembling. He was stumbled. He stumbled forward and sat down on the bed again, staring at his hands. His head bowed as though in prayer. I knew I was different, he whispered in his own quivering fingers. I knew I was special, always. I knew there was something. Well, you are quite right, said Dumbledore, who, had no longer, who was no longer smiling, but watching riddled intently. Dumbledore is like, this mother. Because all of the things that all of the things that he has described to a certain extent have been bad things. Mm -hmm. 
right? right? Not the moving the object things per se. But he says, I can make animals do things to them, which means that rabbit, a little, is it Tommy's rabbit? He made that <laughs> rabbit went and hang it. Oh my god. Uh, and and all these things he says, I can make bad things happen to people who annoy me. Notice it, it's annoy, not who hurt me, who annoy me. I just don't like you. And it's like, you're talking too much. Bloop, fall along the stairs. <laughs> so you are a wizard. Watching, you are a wizard. Riddle lifted his head. His face was transfigured. There was a wild happiness upon it. Yet for some reason, it did not make him better looking. On the contrary, his finely carved features seemed somehow rougher. His expression, his expression become almost bestial. Are you a wizard too? Yes, I am. Prove it, said Riddle at once, in the same commanding tone he had used when he, told, when, when he said, tell the truth. Dumbledore raised his eyebrows. If, as I take it, you are you're accepting your place at Hogwarts? Of course I am. Then you will address me as Professor or Sir. Riddle's expression hardened for the most fleeting moments before he said, in an unrecognizably polite voice, I'm sorry, sir. I meant, please, Professor, could you show me? <laughs> Harry was sure that Dumbledore was going to refuse that he would tell Riddle there would be plenty of time for practical demonstration of, at Hogwarts, that, that, they were, that they were currently in a building full of muggles and must therefore be cautious. To his great surprise, however, Dumbledore drew his wand from his inside pocket off his suit jacket, pointing it at the shabby wardrobe in the corner and gave the wand a, usual, a casual flick. And this is why I think Dumbledore would have been, not only from what Mrs. Cole may have said, that you know that Tom Riddle does some shady shade, Tom Riddle admitted that he was doing shady shit. So this is why I assume Dumbledore would have cast that spell on the wardrobe, knowing that how he would hide stuff. Because, I mean, this is classic sociopath. And Dumbledore even gives an MO after this, right? He said that Dumbledore, he said that Voldemort was like a magpie. He was stealing, he, he was collecting trophies from his victims, and he was hiding the trophy. I was just like, this is not a children's book. This but, is no longer a children's book. I think, you know, the, you see the, the idea of the roots of evil. You know, you mm -hmm. really do kind of see, I mean, you see you, at some point um, somebody could have been able to, you know, maybe change that personality. But, you know, maybe not. I mean, maybe there was, he may not have looked like Maropi, but he had more gaunt in him. And in, in the inside of him and his personality, then he had Riddle. That um, everything that determined who he was in terms of just kind of an anger at the world was more from the gaunt side of his of his family tree, and that um, he was always trying to, or feeling that put upon and that the world owed him something, and he was going to show the world that he was in control. So I think that was from a very early age. You know, so anybody who annoys me, who does that? You know, you, you if you figure, hmm, here come that annoying person, I'm getting away from him, as opposed to, I'm going to make you fall down the steps. You mm -hmm. know, it's just a whole different thought pattern um, that he has about, you know, who he is, how he interacts with other people. So I think, but as I said before, you know, Dumbledore is very clear 
on the lines of authority, though. You come into Hogwarts and you're going to call me professor or sir. You don't steal in there. And this is how you're going to behave. And he just definitely kind of lays it out for him and shows I'm not intimidated. That stuff you do to other people, you know, that 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 kind of bucking up and, you know, jeering and all that kind of stuff you do that doesn't work on me. So but, it's very clear who who the power dynamic is, but, because uh, even at 11 years, 11 years old, Tom is the one in power in that place. Right. He he's running that place. But also, interestingly enough, and we would know he would spread his wings at Hogwarts just the same for, to a certain extent. Oh, yeah. But, but the interesting thing is he didn't look at him, he didn't follow him as closely as he should have. He said, I, I, however, I was intrigued by him. I, re, I intended to keep an eye upon him, something I should have done in any case since he was alone and friendless, but which already I felt I ought to do for others sake as much as his. Because I mean, the the interesting one of the interesting thing I took from this whole situation is how petty Tom Riddle is. Well, Voldemort, he has kept Dumbledore in his mind for the rest of his life. Oh yeah, because Dumbledore this, living rent free in his head. That's for sure. This moment, because to him, in his mind, this is one zero Dumbledore, and he wants to square this away. Yes, he and does. And he has never been able to square this away. Yes, because he, he knew, because he told true. Harry this, right? That even at school, Dumbledore, Dumbledore always turned up in places that he could not expect the Dumbledore to be. Dumbledore never trusted him like the other teacher did, right? And right. Dumbledore was a right. transfiguration teacher. And we already know that he has this petty thing where he dislikes the idea that Dumbledore is supposed to be the greatest wizard ever. He dislikes that whole title and that that whole idea about it being Dumbledore because he can't. He, I think he laughs about it in book two when he says, "Oh, is this what Dumbledore sends you? The great champion? He sends you what? A, a dirty old hat and a bird? You know?" So there is always this competition. But this scene is such a wonderful little scene here, and I do like. I do like. Um, and it shows. I mean, in many ways, Tom Riddle. Is was really a badass, and I and I see this in terms of just like I think Deb, this I think this scene answers your question where you thought where you think you asked a couple of weeks ago whether or not the Tom Riddle did Voldemort think that he was special and unique. Here he is saying this, right? Yes, he yes. looks at his hand and says, No, no, I knew I was special. Mm-hmm. And the thing, the interesting thing with that, he considered himself special despite the fact that he knew that there are wizards who exist. Right, because right. he was sitting next to one. It wasn't that it wasn't that you might be special in this place, but you weren't special in the world, right? Because they're of the wizard. But he took that to mean, you know what I mean? And then he mentions the thing about the snake, right? And then Dumbledore yeah. says that thing, right? It is unusual. It is unusual, but it is not unheard of. So right. when he goes to school and find out that aha, there are no he may have assumed that Salazar Slytherin was the last parcel mold, and it's him, right? And then he starts figuring out about the family situation. This is, I mean, I feel some level of sympathy because this isn't, this isn't things that children should be burdened with or be obsessed with or thinking about. You know what I mean? It, it is, he's smart. He's very prodigious. I mean, he was good at magic whatever it is. I mean, in this world, it's saying I had to be good at magic, right? Just got to read the textbook. 
And but you know, this obsession that he had from a very early age of trying to find himself a place in the world, and not just, but in fact, not even find a place, is to find his a place, find himself at the top of the world. So you could imagine right. he's reading all of Grindelwald's um, clippings and being like, "Oh, I'm going to be better than this one." <laughs> you know what I mean? Because particularly since Dumbledore is the one who defeated um, Grindelwald, he's just like, you know, I gotta be better than Grindelwald. And it's interesting that he didn't. We would learn that. He didn't even think of wands being the issue, right? That that he just think of it as just your intellect and moving magic, going beyond the realm of usual magic, I think is the term that they use. But this is this part was so fascinating for me, that interaction, because the um eleven year old Tom Riddle was looking Dumbledore in his face, like they were the same. As my mother would say, you know, when had a sex now size, little boy. So, <laughs> you will not be attempting to talk to me in this manner. Right, Bye. right. Or as my grandmother used to say, "You're not gonna answer me word for word." <laughs> he, he was, he was, he, he was ready. He was yeah. ready to fight. He was ready to fight. Well, and this is not the first time we see. Every time that he interacts with Dumbledore, there is that moment where he wants to fight. And I think the the, the um the incident in the Ministry of Magic was unforeseen right he wasn't prepared for that battle he wasn't prepared at all for that battle at all but it was about the best battle at all in the whole book series but you know but janina is giving us the wrapping up sign is there anything we sort of want to get into before we sort of wrap up janina Mm, no just that you know tom Riddle, as a young person, really, truly was an asshole. So it is no surprise. And scary. And <laughs> scary. What he grew up to be. But you're right. It is It is super fascinating to, like, take a, a, a deep dive back and right. see, you know, his roots. Because it all comes together. It really does. And and it, and especially, his, and it all really comes together, um, as Reels has pointed out, I mean, just from the very, from the get-go, um, his, the way he is vis-a-vis Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. And that that is the, the same way we talked about who the rivals were. Was it Draco and Harry? The rivalry between Voldemort and Dumbledore is the true, is the rivalry. It is the real and deal. It is, it is the real deal. And it is the rivalry that it is the rivalry that ends up in the battle, even though Dumbledore is gone. Right. And it looks like, and just like in the Empire Strikes Back, once again, it looks like the bad guys have won mm-hmm. um, because Dumbledore is gone. He is able, because of what he has taught Harry and because of all of the lessons and the various things that he has done, that he, is, he ultimately vanquishes um, Voldemort yeah. through Harry. Yeah, for so, sure. And he and then he really does, um, and because he recognizes more so than anybody else in the Wizarding World, they keep saying we scared of Dumbledore, we scared of Voldemort, we scared of Voldemort, but nobody does anything. Right. And Dumbledore's like, yeah, he he's all of that, and we got to do something. And yeah, so, good. you know, he you can see that from the very beginning, it's like I got to keep an eye on this guy because. But but it's funny that right. Dumbledore doesn't. The interesting thing is that what we we can make the assumption. Um, I would say, I mean, not say we can, because you know, Janine's gonna be like, "You're making that up. It's not in the book." <laughs> but we can almost say that Dumbledore's 
assessment of Tom Riddle is this moment, right? Yeah. Everything that he knows about that he would use against Tom Riddle was his very first interaction. Because in this moment, Tom Riddle has done something that he would forever regret. He had given Dumbledore way too much information about himself. Mm-hmm. He yeah. had revealed far too much. Yeah. Because like I said, the first thing that he revealed about his ability of magic, because remember when we met, the other only the person we, we met who had been introduced to magic at this age had been, Hermione doesn't even talk about her experience. It's Harry, right? right. Harry then has to think, oh, wait, it's the snake incident. Right. It's my yeah. hair growing it's, back. It's, it's my hair growing back. It's the day I found myself on the roof. And exactly. <laughs> those moments, those right? I mean, it wasn't the time when I was almost going to kill the, <laughs> I was almost going to kill the Dursleys, but I pulled back, right? A spirit <laughs> Jesus said, no, don't. You know what I mean? <laughs> he, Voldemort is listing his MO, right? Right. I fuck with animals. I fuck with people who don't do what I want them to do, who mainly annoy me. You know what I mean? I can make people do things that they don't want to do, and I grab this stuff. I take a trophy. Because and he's not going a reactor. Going back to Janina. He is not a reactor. He is when something when ha- something happens, he's sitting back and looking at it and thinking about it. He's filing right. it away, he figuring out how he's like, mm, I wound up on this roof and I ain't thought about it since. Right, exactly. <laughs> That snake could talk? That was interesting. Wow, that right. was Oh, is that why that was? Oh, is that why that was? Okay. Now I understand. But, you see, but, but it's funny because, I mean, it's funny because here's the difference between him and Harry, right? Because Harry's family kept telling him, you are abnormal, <laughs> right? Something's mm-hmm. wrong Something's with, you. Right with you. But see, they knew. But, but they did exactly. know. Right. But, but Harry, Harry didn't know. But Harry you know, doesn't so take this. The dynamic is so different because but Harry doesn't take this information to mean in any way that he's unique and whatever. Harry just takes this information and just like, oh, wah, wah, wah. Well, because he was being abused. He was being emotionally abused. Well, he was so right. They're he telling him is that they just don't like me. Yeah, this right. That's like, how they just don't pretty. like me. And now, he, Tom Riddle says the same thing. They just don't like me. They think I need to be looked at. But he also knows what he's done. Yes, and he has. But he and has he's just like you know what? To harness I'm it, gonna run, it. I'm, I'm yeah. going. I'm going to run this thing. I could just imagine him having those little children bring him food, and he's getting the best portion, and he's just like. And I just keep thinking I mean, of this kid probably, running. Around. He probably invented the imperious curse or the Crucianus curse in that damn cave. Oh, or, yeah, or figured out how to use it or used it on them and not did not know what he was doing, but he knew he was able to because make sense. I can make, I can make them hurt. Things. He says, right. I can make them hurt. Yes. Mm, this mofo so, is the real deal. He's the real deal. <laughs> All right, kids. But he's never going. He's he never reveals. He never again revealed that much to Dumbledore. And or my favorite, really? Uh, but, well, I think he reveals a lot when I just think enough people don't know what he's talking about because mm, they're usually I don't in think awe. So. I think they're usually in honor because I think he reveals I think he little pieces of 
things to different people. I don't think he ever is going to reveal this much about himself to one single person. I think the grave yet he speaks about the whole cruxes, but he doesn't. But they don't understand what. Right, right. That's what I mean. I mean, because I think the only reason, and I'm more, I'm, I'm, I'm. As I think about it, it goes back to the point that Janina is talking about. His obsession with defying death is also in this moment because that's when he asked Dumbledore, was my father the wizard, right? Because it couldn't have been my mother. And Dumbledore says, I don't know. So there sparks that imagination of his. It's, it's, it's maniacal, you know, about trying to solve that mystery about death. So all of the information, and it's, it's you know, the, the thing is that um, J.K. Rowling is saying people don't change. Right, at least this per- type of person doesn't change. That this man, because throughout the series, they they have been imploring him to change in book seven. Right, regret what you have done, and this boy doesn't. This man is just like, ha, regret is for fools. Right, mm-hmm. regrets mm-hmm. for idiots. Right, and one of my favorite lines in book seven is when he says, um, when he figure out that when they stole the the cup from Gringotts, he says. It's this Dumbledore's puppet reaching, right. Dumbledore reaching out from, from the, the grave. The ignominy of death. <laughs> and I was just like, my God, man, you're like 70 years old. Okay, relax. You've lived a long <laughs> life. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I don't understand you. Like, I don't, I don't know what you're trying to, what are your goals in life? Because they're just really seemingly silly. You're not even trying to get gold. You know what I mean? You're not even trying to get money. And he this power, power. He's trying you to have get power. power already, but you have but, enough power already. But no, he doesn't have enough power because he, as long as Harry is out there, living rent have... free in his head. I'm telling you, yes, Ooh. right. The yes. trauma, right? Right. Mm. Hey, Dumbledore, I wonder if he's eat chocolate. He says, I don't know if he sleeps. He never <laughs> gets any that he sleeps because <laughs> he isn't trying to deal with trauma the magical way because that get you know. Both Dumbledore and Harry are living rent free in that head for years. Yes, they now. are. So, friends, we uh, completed episode number seventeen, <laughs> and <laughs> we're just about halfway in the book by now. So, the next episode, we're I think we will there. get we're on. We're getting there. To, we're getting there. We're gonna get on to the other lessons and the missing lesson, the, the missing <laughs> memory. Um, we're gonna get on. We're gonna meet my friend Hokey. And um, let me tell you something. J.K. Rowling, the way she talks about ugly women, or women that she describes as things that are ugly, it's not cute. She's it's really not, good at it, though. Isn't she, she is horrible. <laughs> Remember that girl from um, in book two? Yeah. When Harry saw her, Harry was just say thinking holidays with the trolls. Yeah. I'm just like that is a teenager. That is look. And Hermione have that other girl, Eloise Midgen, running around with but, sneak all over her face for life. Okay, this is the way we deal with people who are we, that are considered by the world to be unattractive. Oh my god! This is, I mean, really, sure seriously. You don't like I mean, ugly people. And, and I know we're not, we couldn't say these two names in the same sentence, but 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 actually, that was the bluest eye. That yes, was, it was the bluest eye. Yes, is when the was. world sees you as totally unattractive and the world sees you as worthless. That's what we know. This is the, that's the serious side of and it. And you're free to be abused. You, right. You're and that, free to you know, be that, abused. That's, that's kind of takes all, go, all, um, all bets are off. 
-hmm. is that um, once you see someone who is considered unattractive, that there's somehow another their human humanity is called into question, and that they don't they don't breathe and think and hurt and everything else. And so I matter. think right. I think that's a, a, a literary theme that um, that women really do deal with in literature because women have very often been at the root of it and been at the have been at the um, the crux of it. They've had their whole existence judged by it. Yeah, ugly men can have a pretty successful life. Absolutely. And even I mean, get a beautiful life. You have to look like Quasimodo for someone to consider you an ugly man. Yeah, and there it was a beautiful woman showing him sympathy, right? Exactly. Right, exactly. She's still managed. It's because we as women are just far more compassionate creatures. Well, well, no, we we put that burden because she's a special type of woman, right? She's seen right. as a gypsy and a quote In that unquote, situation. I'm just saying situation. as a whole, we are much more forgiving. But remember, though, Janina, you know, in the bluest eye, those girls were not. They were evil. They were I not. actually they did were, a huge they were, project. They were, they were the every girl. Yeah, they were, they were much more seen as the every girl. It was and like she was the outlier. It was like a uh, mean girls almost. Right. <laughs> so Before we their time, we digress. But we, we did. But the whole thing about about attractive. I mean, look, Tom Riddle is described as attractive. Yes, but as and every time he and is. and every but notice every time he is about to commit evil, uh, evil reigns within him. That look shifts. Yes. Yes, it does shift. There is that shift look because it's one of the things that Harry, um, whenever Harry meets Voldemort, he takes in every bit of Voldemort. He looks at him and he looks particularly at his eyes and yes. constantly. And there is that first mention that we know that as a theme that, that would be run along the course of Voldemort's life of this animalistic behavior, this beast like behavior. Snake -like she says behavior. it. Snake like and beast like. She says it's almost bestial. The way he's almost always, he, he is, his reaction, when he is reacting, you know, it's always erratic, and it's always savage, and it's almost brutal, right? He's almost animalistic, like, like almost like a, um, a trapped, you know, like a bear, you know, like lashing out. Because, and the way in which he murders is often like, well, not as a cute way to murder someone, but, you know, so, it's always bombastic, you know what I mean? Like, he's always, like, in this sort of man and brutal. I mean, like I said, what do you expect? The book opens with a triple murder. Mm. So, we're going to have some deep people. So, folks, thanks again for listening. We are having such a good time. I can't wait to do the other lessons. Because one of my favorite scenes are coming up. And by the way, you know, I, I just remembered we missed a moment of reading that graveyard scene. That graveyard scene is such oh, that an excellent. Been fun. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe this will but, be a good time to go back to it when we get to no. <laughs> when we well, no, when we do when we do our 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 overall overarching Wrap up. pick our then, favorite scene. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, let me let me just give testament to Jim Dale. When I think about Jim Dale rereading, reading of these books, you know, like he does an excellent Voldemort. His Voldemort is always on point. All of his characters are, but he has Voldemort down to the high pitches. Like he he has Voldemort all over the spectrum. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. 
But nice to see Dumbledore is doing a little bit of, you know, forensic files here. <clears throat> so Detective Dumbledore. We love it. We love it. <laughs> so wrapping up, folks, see you next week. Next week. And Thanks ladies. Again. Mischief manage. Folks comment, okay? Comment, you know, on Twitter. Just saying. 